Hello, everyone. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life. Because what it takes to write the book you want to write also is what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. It's true. You know, it is. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, premier free writing magazine on the internet, featuring articles on writing and the writing life, as well as video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. My conversation with the wonderful Natasha Dion is up there now. She is just very inspiring, very funny, great conversation. Check it out. Again, authormagazine.org. And we're funded by the good people at the Pacific Northwest Writers Association, supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. Uh, you can learn about the PNWA and all their classes and their conference right over at pnwa.org. Yeah. So today, oh, we had an interesting one for today's uh, uh, show. Carol Lawrence, she's done all kinds of stuff. I love people like this. Comedy, acting, uh, playwriting, poetry. She's a novelist now. She's got a book out called Cleopatra's Dagger. It's awesome. But, oh, we had a great conversation. She's an award-winning novelist, poet, composer, and playwright. In addition uh, to Edinburgh Twilight, Edinburgh Dusk, and Edinburgh Midnight in the Ian Holmes mystery series, she has authored novellas, short stories, and poems, many of them translated internationally. She is a two-time Pushcart Prize nominee for poetry and has won the Euphoria Poetry Prize, the Eve of St. Agnes Poetry Award, the Maxim Mazumder Playwriting Prize, the Jerry Jazz Musician Award for Short Fiction, and the Chronogram Literary Fiction Award. Her plays and musicals have been produced in several countries, as well as on NPR. Her physics play, Strings, nominated for an Innovative Theater Award, was produced at the Kennedy Center. A Hawthorne Dorn Fellow, she is on the faculty of NYU and Gotham Writers Workshops, as well as the Cape Cod Writers Center and San Miguel Writers Conference. And like I said, she's got a new book out called Cleopatra's Dagger. It's awesome. And I'm so glad I get to share our conversation with you now. Enjoy. Carol, Carol, welcome to the show. Thank you. And thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. You busy woman. I, you know, this is, um, so I'm talking to you a few weeks after the publication of Cleopatra's Dagger, your fourth novel. Uh, but this, I, uh, it's actually my 15th novel. Sorry oh, for to... crying out loud. All right. It's I'm the sorry. Fourth. I'm Let's... sorry not, not to put too fine a point on it, but uh, no, no, no. Uh, it's my fourth. It is my fourth novel novel with Thomas and Mercer, okay. which is an imprint of Amazon. Right. Yeah. Right. So it's your uh, were the So were the other novels in the suspense genre or were they what was the what? Yeah, they were. Well, they were all in the crime genre. My first two were Sherlock Holmes novels mm-hmm. that I did right. with. Sorry, I said, OK. Oh, yeah. My first two were Sherlock Holmes novels. And then I wrote a cozy series for Berkeley Prime Crime. And then I wrote a series for Kensington of uh, contemporary thrillers uh, set in New York City. And um, and then this series. Well, that's, OK, this is interesting because uh, so. All right. So you've written a lot of novels, a lot of in the crime. Oh, oh I completely forgot. Oh, my God. I forgot. I wrote two cozies for Crooked Lane um, set in England under the pen name Elizabeth Blake. I'm sorry. No, no. It is so good. It is so good, Carol. When you can forget about books you've published, that you are at a point in your life where you can forget about something. You've just, you have so many that you can forget. So congratulations on that. But what I thought was interesting about this career path of yours 
is you've done a lot. I mean, you've written a lot of books, but you've written a lot of stuff that aren't books. You've written a lot of poetry, yeah. music, theater. Yeah. Uh, and I have to tell you, the combination of poet, crime writer, that is unusual. Don't you think? Or am I, is this some kind of bias of mine? But I don't, I don't think it is. I think it's well, you know, it's interesting. I, I kind of felt the same way myself. And, you know, I started out in literary fiction. I mean, I, I went to a really conservative school. We didn't just read dead white males. We read dead white British males. Oh. And I think there was like one course in American literature. And the rest was like, you know, T.S. Eliot and Shakespeare and, you know, the Augustan poets of the eight. Yeah. Of the eight you know, and, and like, oh, boy. And it was so dry. And, 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 you know, they didn't care about our creativity. It was all about scholarship and, you know, writing about writing, which was really good training. And um, so, you know, but I come from I come from a very sort of rigorous academic background. <laughs> And then when they asked me if I wanted to go to grad school, I was like, hell no. I am hell done no. with this. <laughs> okay, wait, wait, though. Wait, I'm were so you, done. so you were, so an undergraduate, you're going to this very conservative kind of stuffy academic thing. Okay, but you're learning very, a lot. You're, you're probably very. doing well because you can write. But but were you always, before you went to college, were you interested in writing? Was, were you writing poems on your yeah, own? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I was a kid, I used to write, <laughs> I would write what I thought were scathing satires of my parents. And then I would like gather the, the neighborhood kids together and we would, and I'd put on a play and it would be, huh. you know, or, and like when our family went to Canada with another family, I like produced a play you know? wow. <laughs> and I would write like these sketches, essentially sketch comedy. And yeah. then, you know, all my siblings and cousins would be in them. And then like, I, I produced the show. So well, you were like, uh, you were like, um, who are those uh, blanking on Mickey, Mickey, uh, Mickey, you Mickey Rooney, and Ro Mickey Garland. Rooney and, and yeah. uh, what's Let's put on a show. I was, yeah. that kid. I was totally that kid. And like, it didn't really matter. My sister didn't really like being on stage, but I didn't really care. Um, and I was just like, yeah, you're going to do this sketch. You, know? <laughs> uh, you were just, you were, so you were create, you were a creative from, you identified yourself as creative from a get go. Not everybody well, does I, that. I, you know? I don't know. I just, I just like stories. And then I would do cartoons. I had like reams of cartoons of like, oh. you know, cartoon characters, like acting out, like I did the chipmunks and all, all the, the cartoons that were on TV, but then I would like invent my own little characters. And I had a whole race of aliens and wow. like okay. they would be in my little cartoon and I would be like do little stories with them and stuff like that wow so you're yeah I mean I, I everyone comes to creativity differently some people think I'm not some people discover it later and it sounds like for you you just were and you couldn't even and it didn't even occur to you not I mean I was a bit that way myself I was doing cartoons and music and stuff. oh really you did cartoons too oh That's yeah so I was going to be a cartoonist I thought oh my god I was going to work for Disney when I was five oh, years old I was wow. totally convinced that that was going to be my career path well uh, I was going to be a cartoonist for Walt Disney that was like my ambition and I cut pictures of him out in the newspaper because wow. he represented like this creative genius to me at the time yeah and um you know I would like post pictures of him in my scrapbooks <laughs> well so that must have been because you know the thing is when i went to college i want i knew i wanted to be a, a writer or a creative probably writer you know i wasn't sure but that was pretty much that looked like the, the, the thing and i went to college and there was a lot of people writing about writing and i and even though i was only 18 19 i was like i don't know this is kind of bs i'm not sure like this is very different than how i think about something when i read it you know, uh -huh. when I would read it, I would read it as a potential writer. 
And it was so all you, just like, so you you found literary criticism kind of boring and and not very instructive. I didn't understand like what what are we talking about here? I, I mean, I and I to all my academic friends, I'm sorry. It's okay if you love it, go for it. But I was baffled by it as a creative person. It seemed like kind of like a, just a mental exercise. What do you think? Well, I think I think it is, and I think that, but but I think very very smart people write literary criticism. Um, uh, you know, <laughs> what are you, uh, Carol? Uh, what and what are you well i no i i i i wrote literary criticism as an exercise i mean i just right. i ended up at this i ended up at duke university because oh, okay. i didn't i i didn't i couldn't afford my my family had always gone to princeton but i couldn't afford it and duke offered me this big scholarship right and i okay. wanted to be I, I wanted to be on a pretty campus it was really the thing that was really important to me was boys and a good-looking campus and, <laughs> and they so, had both <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Good looking boys and good looking campuses. I found out too late. A lot of them were pre-med and kind of jockey yeah, and irritating. But um, yeah. but uh, I found my little niche on East Campus where where all the gays and writers and musicians and, right, and crazy people. Right. There was a guy who never wore never wore shoes, even in the winter. And, um, <sighs> and so like that, that was I found my people. Yeah. But I think that um, I, I didn't know how conservative it was, but I think that. I mean, I agree with you that like, I think literary criticism can be a, a real kind of rarefied academic, you know, hyper intellectual thing. But I, I'm glad I subjected myself to that. And I went to a school, you know, which is very unenlightened at the time. And they didn't, you know, they didn't care about minorities and they didn't, right, right, you know, right. and, and they didn't. And, and they didn't care about my creativity so much. I didn't take I took like one creative writing class in all the four years I was there. But but I think having to analyze fiction and analyze poetry and analyze, it, it wasn't a bad way to train the brain, yeah. if you know what I mean. Sure. Well, it gets you thinking. It gets you thinking, yeah. but you thought enough that when you got out, you're like, I'm not going back for grad school. I'm not going to become a, go get a PhD or whatever. I so was not. An, I knew it by the time uh, I played, it was like a role. I was playing academic and I even had a little, I even had a little costume I wore when I was writing my senior honors thesis. I Seriously? Wrote, I, I had like uh, this, I know this sounds really perverse, but I had like a beat up old blue bathrobe uh -huh. and a pair of glasses with no lenses in them because I didn't need glasses. Uh -huh. But I would like, put, when I was ready to write my, when I was going to work on my thesis, I put on the old bathrobe and the glasses and I'm like, okay, and I'm an academic now and I'm going to write this little thesis. Oh my God, you're <laughs> such a little, you're like a, such a little character. Just, well, and then I, later I became an actor when I moved to New York. So I guess it was kind of, you know. You did the, um, so, oh my God. Okay. We're going to have to race through this, but you're so interesting. So you, you go to New York and you start getting into theater. Yeah, I did. I made a living doing comedy. I, I did, I did like straight, I did like musicals and plays and stuff like that. But I find in that New kind York. of, uh, in New York and, and regionally. And I found okay. that kind of tedious because uh -huh. you have to keep repeating yourself every night. Yeah. And it's yeah. people who don't don't realize what hard work acting is. God oh. bless actors. I just think actors are amazing. But yeah. then I found comedy improv and I actually made a living doing that you for a number did? of years. Where? Yeah, I, I, I was with two groups. I was with a group called First Amendment, um, okay. which was the oldest comedy uh, improv group in New York, uh -huh. started, by, started by a wonderful old hippie um, from California, a uh -huh. uh, Barbara Contardi. And she was like this great old fashioned lefty. And uh -huh. we performed in a basement in Bond Street, which was Perfect. very, now these days, Bond Street's really, really she, she, uh -huh. but in those days it was so ratty. 
Yeah, that's a lot of New York is like that. There's, it was so ratty, yeah, and we, yeah. we had this wonderful theater, and we just performed. And wow. then later, I I joined a group called Chicago City Limits, which was a spinoff of the Second City. Yeah, yeah. And then they actually paid real money, and so I like wow. I would like work with them, Jeez, uh, you man. know, for, for a number of years. And that was really fun because I and I highly recommend, you know, taking an improv class when you're a writer because it frees you up, and I think that. You know, what I liked about it was it was a great intersection of writing and acting. I didn't have yeah. to repeat myself every night and I could make up stories with my friends on the spot. So it was just like it was the closest thing to play that I've ever done and actually made a living doing. Wow. I'll tell you, man, I have I did sketch comedy. My brother and I wrote a show, we did it around for a little bit and I mm -hmm. liked it. But the uh, the improv comedian is always to me because it, you, you are so like you got to just let go. You got to be tuned in. You can't yeah. doubt yourself. I mean, I've not done it, but I can well imagine what is required of you. Um, it seems like just walking a tightrope, but obviously it isn't necessarily. But well, there are techniques. There are techniques that you learn, and and once you really get them under your belt, it really helps center you uh, and helps you okay. push you in the right direction. But I'd been doing that all my life. I mean, I'd sort yeah. of, I was a you know clown in school, and I would like you know, it just, you know, that was fun for me. So it, it did kind of come naturally to me because I like goofing around and, you know, I guess I was funny. And so, you know, and my friends were funny and it was great hanging around with funny people all day long. And we would, yeah. you know, we would go on tour and there would be competitions to like, see who could crack everybody up, you know, more. And, right. and I loved that. And it was, you know, it's really fun being with people who are just funny all the time. Oh, Please. It's the best. It's the best. And so you did that. But, you know, suspense, crime, not funny, not normally. I mean, sometimes it is, but not normally. So when did you start getting it in your head? You would like to to not play with others, just you alone <laughs> at a keyboard. Like what happened there? Well, I I'd or, I'd always been writing. I, I like I like I said, I'd always been writing plays and I didn't stop doing that. I never stopped writing like uh -huh. during that whole period. And I was lucky enough to get some short stories published in anthologies yeah. while I was still doing, you know, theater. And yeah. then I got and I and I and I wrote some musicals that had readings. And then I I um I was with a little theater company, wonderful little company called the Lakota Theater Company. And um I wrote some plays for them. And, you know, we just did little productions or, okay. or readings or whatever. And so I just, I was just always like writing different things. I was always All writing. Right. And then, and then I think it just, um, you know, you don't want to really spend your whole life doing comedy improv. And, and there are some trajectories that you can, you know, you can, at, you, two of my colleagues auditioned for Saturday Night Live and right. got really, really close. They got, yeah. they got close. And one of them was, this, this is really a terrible story, but she was in the final callback and they came in and they said, you know, we found somebody who can do everything that you can do, only she's 10 years younger. <sighs> and and the person they were talking about was Julia Louise Dreyfus. Oof. Well, and um, and which I, I didn't even know she had made, you know, she had yeah. made a brief appearance on SNL. And yeah. so and my friend was very, very talented and super sure. funny. And I kind of went, huh. If that's if that's the comedy world, huh? That's right. really just that's so discouraging. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you know, I I, I kind of I and I also I like writing. 
to be quite honest, I'd rather write a play and sit in in the theater and have other people act in it. Interesting. You would. <laughs> so that's it's really it's really hard work going to the theater every night. Oh my god, I can't even tell you. I was hey, you know what? Like, it's I, just such hard work. I I am a big proponent of doing of taking the easy path. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I no, I seriously, I think because there are some people who would you know there are actors who would agree with you, but they're like. I don't, but it's do it. It's the best thing, man. It's the best. Yeah, it's hard, but it's the best thing. But I think if you, if you're mostly aware of how hard it is, then maybe it's not the right path for you. Like, because oh writing to right. some actors, Carol, writing a book is like walking over nails, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't think Come that. I, I think they're different skills. I, I don't sure. know that they. You know, I, I think that I think actors are amazing, and you know, having done some of it myself. Yep. I just, didn't, you know, when you're acting, you get up every day and the entire day yep. is about being ready to go yep. on that night. The whole yep. day has to be fun. You don't want to get sick. You don't want to get oh. a sore throat. You don't want to eat too much. You don't want <laughs> right. to eat too little. You right. don't want to, you know, you're taking You're like an athlete. Right. You're an athlete. And, 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 and that's okay. It was an okay thing to do, but you know, when you're a writer, you get up when you feel like it, you have coffee for two hours if you feel like it. And you know, you set your own schedule and I guess I got really used to that. (laughs) Yeah. You know what? I, I, I come to like it. I mean, I teach classes and workshops. It's the closest thing to theater in a way, because I have to sort of be on for a couple hours but uh-huh, uh-huh. in general you te- now, do you teach do you teach uh, writing workshops or acting well workshops? it's writing and my my version of a writing workshop is a blend between writing and like self-help personal growth kind of things it's a lot of oh, uh, that's what that's what our theater that's what the lakota theater company we had we it was wonderful it was like you're acting but you're also kind of doing therapy i loved yep. that yeah i well to I me the right Writers need a lot of therapy. <laughs> I think a lot of time, I think this, anyway, I could go on about that, but that's sort of what I focus on. But it's very, yeah. it's, but, but, you know, I'm aware, like I got to be on for a couple hours. But so, all right, so you start writing fiction and, and, yeah, when you and go teaching, to- and by the way, teaching is great that way. Teaching is yeah. performing, yeah, but it you is. only have to do it like one or two nights a week or whatever. Yeah. And people, you know, uh, your students are really, you know, yeah, I teach. I also teach, though I haven't taught a live class since COVID started. Yeah, but, yeah. I do them online. Like, I'll be doing yeah, one. Yeah, I, yeah. I teach online too, but I, I love teaching live. And I think it's really, really fun. And I love my students and, and I love that experience. So, yeah. I'll bet you're and great. I think, I'll bet well, you're and, great, Carol. Uh, well, you know what? You're entertaining. And you know how important that is? Even in teaching, I think it's critical. Yeah, yeah, I think it, it, it really it really does help. Yeah, and and we laugh a lot in class. Good. And, you know, a lot of times I have entertaining students. We have a great time together. So, ah, oh, you're good. Well, okay. So, so when you when you start writing books, let's talk about because you've written so much. We only have so much time. But let's talk about the books. You've gone towards the crime genre. Like, what drew you to that? Why? Because so many things you could write. Why crime? Um, money. Come on, really? You can make money. Doing um, no, yeah, no, it's it's true. No, it's only partially true. I, you know, as, as I said, I come from a lit a literary background, and right. my first few short stories, I guess you could, I, I published ones that, you know, you would be called so called literary fiction. Sure, sure. Um, but yeah, I wanted to write something that sells. Number one, but to be quite honest, I'm also really, really interested in um the uh, the criminal mind and and human. Yeah. Uh, psychology and pathopsychology in particular. I, I took a course uh, in criminal psychology at John Jay 
and I and I have a lot of books on the topic. And oh. I, I had a I had a brother who was a sociopath, and I really? think that probably got me started really? on that. Yeah, wow. yeah. Wow. Yeah. So like, ser- like an, I mean, I don't want to get into it too deep, but but like an actual diagnosed sociopath. Well, you know, he wasn't diagnosed, but let me just put it this way. He was the first person uh, in history to burn down a, a house that was a habitat for humanity. Wow. Wow. He was not a good person. And, um, and, you know, but how he got there is such a long and complicated story. And right. I think that, I think that once, I think that I didn't, I didn't, I don't think he was always a sociopath. I think he, he turned into one. And so right. I think that um, it's really, I think that that kind of knowing that about, about my family and knowing that about, you know, human um, psychology and, and the possibilities of, of delving into that. I think that, I think that probably was a huge factor, even sure. though as a child, I wasn't aware you know, oh, as a no. child, you know, he just was like a normal little brother. But as right. as he got older, things got darker and darker. And um, right. so I think that probably influenced me greatly. Well, but I would think in a way um, it's helpful in a way that because you saw him go from just a little boy to, to a grown person who's doing these things. And right. you, you have the thing with the sociopath is we don't it's the temptation is not to humanize them, to turn them into monsters. And even though he's well, done these things, you. I mean, how can you not still see him as a person because you knew him as right. this person? I do, and that. that's I do, and that's why in my books I often have scenes from the point of view of the killer, whoever the killer is. Right. Whether right. Whether, whether the killer is a sociopath or just a, a kind of a a person who's got you know gotten lost, I I'm, I'm very very interested in criminal psychology and how people become what they are, and yeah. um you know I was uh, I was lucky enough to sit. I was I was lucky enough to when I was with Kensington Publishing, they were publishing the great John Douglas. I don't know if you know who he is, but he's oh, the. He, he, he was he was that 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 long. Am I think? Oh no, I'm thinking of somebody else. I'm thinking of somebody else. John I actually Douglas, don't know John, John Douglas. John Douglas was the the model for Jonathan Harris's character in Red Dragon and um, Silence of the Lambs. He was the oh he was, oh oh, oh he was, right. in particular. He was the. He was the pro, he was the the famous profiler who, um, the, I don't know if you know the Netflix series um, Man um, uh, Mind Hunter, but that's based on his book Mind Hunter. Okay. And and he he and he just to cut to the chase, he and Robert Ressler basically invented criminal profiling. They basically right. invented. They started. He and Robert Ressler started um, the uh, the. Uh, the part of the FBI, which at the time was the BSU, the Behavioral Sciences Unit, right. uh, at, at the FBI. So he's just like a he's wow. just like a leg- legendary profiler. Right. And um, it, uh, anyway, if you're if you're into, if you're into true crime at all, you know who he is. And so um, I was lucky enough to sit with him at the Edgars one year because we had wow. the same publisher, and it was so funny because people were like coming up to the table, and this one woman. You know, she practically I met her at the cocktail party and she was like, you, you know, John Douglas is here. And I was like, yeah, and we're sitting at the same table. And she's like, whoa, do you think I could come up and talk to him? And, and, and she just like she just like, you know, sort of came up and was like, oh, my God, Mr. Douglas. He's like a he was like a superstar, you know, and um, and so I, I, I I kind of feel that way about those about those guys. And I'm lucky enough to know a couple of them. And um, I just think I know 
I one guy, Greg McCrary, who's also a, a profiler, a former profiler. He was at Waco um, wow. when he was with, when he was with the FBI. He was the one who was trying to, you know, talk them down really from going in. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. He was, and so like and Greg actually helped me with he actually gave me advice on one of my novels. I mean, I can't believe he took nice. the time to do this. Wow. So so these people I, I find these people who investigate crime and specifically the psychology of crime to me they're just like they're they're the rock stars of my world you know right. i just think they're, i think right. they're amazing that's so cool so you've got to wow what an interesting and so and for this book we'll try to get to it cleopatra's dagger you said it now this is set in 1880s new york and so it's historical thriller we've got a female journalist of which there were probably six in all of america at that time who knows right so you've got that's our protagonist and so you had to set it you had to go learn about the 1800s you had to set it and it's filled with luscious tiny tidbits and details and i'm reading it the writer in me is going whoa she did her homework boy oh boy, I do, oh, boy. I do. I sure. <laughs> oh i know you, you know, did that's one thing that's one thing that that my background taught me is how to do research yeah well, i mean you did it's it. like that's what academia is all about research yeah. so i didn't learn how to do that yeah did you like it did you have fun or were you just itching to get to the storytelling uh, both absolutely both that's a really good question it, it, you know some of my students tell me um oh god i get so caught up in the research i have trouble you know getting to the writing and i really appreciate that and it's when you're writing history you know historical fiction it's sure. such a balance that you have to strike yeah. but um yeah i was i'm an impatient person in general so yes i was impatient <laughs> but i also was absolutely blown away by the plethora of amazing material that is available especially about new york city i mean the the, right. uh, the and i love reading nonfiction. i'd rather read nonfiction than anything and so maybe because i write fiction you know I, it's yeah. like a busman's holiday yeah. to write to read but um i just was so impressed with the not only the amount of books but the quality of writing in the books is just stunning i mean it's yeah. just wonderful so yeah it was it, i really enjoyed it yeah well, that well, I gotta say, you did a great job. I mean, I was because again, I unfortunately, I, this is how I read. I was just going, "Wow, oh, look at that detail! God, look at that! Oh my God, where'd she find that goddamn thing? <laughs> <laughs> wow!" So anyway, it was. I mean, I it's it's a weird way to read, but it's I can't help. No, it. I read like that myself. In fact, I hate. It, it, I'm I'm a really slow reader. And yeah. the better a book is, the slower I read it. Sure. Because if it's really well written, I'll go over a sentence three or four times, like that's a great sentence. Yeah. Oh, I gotta read it again. Oh, yeah. oh. and then I'll like ponder it. It's like, yeah. you know, yeah. I try I, to tell my students, like, look, start reading, you know, it you you hopefully it'll just happen naturally that you start your reading changes as you start writing. I don't see like I write music too. And it's like when I really started doing it, I couldn't listen to music quite the same way. You know, I'd be like, I know, oh, right? How they do Doesn't that? It change you? It, it changes does. you so much. Yeah. It really changes the way you listen to music and you become very impatient if something yeah. is boring. Yeah. And if something if something is really, really good, you just become entranced. I know. I, and you just hear yeah. tricks like, oh, how they do that? Oh, oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's working. Oh, I got yeah, it. yeah. And and yep. I'm I'm training I'm training in theory because I I grew up playing the piano, yeah. and then I I, I became a, a professional singer while I was doing you know theater or whatever. Wow. But yeah, but but I my theory was really weak. So uh -huh. I'm training I'm training myself in theory because. I have friends who can like just sit and listen in a jazz club and they, and they can oh, listen please. to the court. I, 
to the I don't understand that. They can, tell me what's, they can tell me what's going on. Yeah. And so I'm trying to train myself to like, if now if I hear a circle of fifths, I know I'm hearing a circle of fifths. See, I, I patted myself on the back just because I was listening to a Dylan song the other day and I said, I'll bet that's in G and it was. And I thought, hallelujah. I can't, I, every once I can barely hear when they're, when they're changing keys. I'm, I'm so I'm like, I know it's theory. All about training. It's all about training. Yeah, it's yeah. all about doing, you know, tr- yeah, it's, that's all. I, I swear that's all, that's all yeah, it's about because probably is. Yeah. And I, I, I had, a, I have a long way to go, but I'm, I'm getting better. I'm not as good as my friends who can just go like, Oh, I don't know why they were, that was really interesting going to the subdominant with the, you know, <laughs> with the pedal point, point of the, of the, you know, the, the tonic. I'm like, huh? I know. And then I, know. I go home and I try and repeat that, you know? Yeah. So we're, 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 we're no doubt losing all that, but you know, look at, I get very few opportunities to geek out over music. So I'm enjoying it with Carol. So all right. Oh, can I, can I just recommend a guy? Yeah. Adam Neely. <clears throat> go Adam on the, <clears throat> go on the internet. Ah. He is phenomenal. He, he does music theory and music um, analysis. And the other day I, I blew my mind listening to his uh, seven levels of jazz harmony. And wow. I couldn't even like, by the time I get to the fourth level, I'm like, I'm done. I'm my mind <laughs> already, but, but check him out. He's absolutely brilliant. And he just, you know, you, oh, he analyzes music on a, on a theoretical level, like nobody I've seen. So, That's and awesome. of course, I'm sure you know, Jacob Collier. Uh, I do, but yeah, I, mean, I know the name, but yeah, he's also just, he's quite a genius. And he's another, so. right. Well, theory, it's a whole thing, people. It's a rabbit hole. You can go down and it's a deep one. Uh, it's, it's fascinating. Part math, part, part, part math, part art. It's so strange. All right, Carol, Carol, listen, you've written a lot. So first of all, if people are interested in you and want to learn more about you and maybe even invite you to their living rooms via Zoom for a book group if you do that sort of thing where should they oh, that would be that would be amazing oh uh, you'd I... be great you'd be great they would be so lucky to have you so where can they go find out about carol oh so my website is celawrence.com <clears throat> so my you know see um so just my first initial and my middle name carol elizabeth so it's um ce lawrence and you know my last my pen name right celawrence.com right. and that that yeah and that has you know and then i also have a facebook I have a Facebook page. Um, uh, I think it's, yeah, the Facebook page, I think is also CE Lawrence, right? All you know, right. and if you just Google Carol Lawrence or any of my other, <laughs> my other uh, too many pen names, um, you'll, you'll, you can find, I'm easy to find on the web. Excellent. Well, all right, check it out, people. You will not be disappointed, but I'm not quite through with you, Carol. I have Great. one more question for you. Uh, and it's this, finish this sentence. All the writing you've done in your life, and you've done so much of it but all the writing you've done has taught you anything. It's taught you what? Um, that the investigation and the journey is everything. Yeah. yeah it's- I mean, the I guess, you know, writing is a journey and yeah. I feel like, you know, obviously life is a journey. Um, but what's great about writing is that it's a journey that has no end. So I feel like, if I approach writing as an investigation and a journey, you know, it, it's kind of everything. And, you know, whether you're writing a musical composition or, a, you know, a story, it's, you know, you follow it and you follow the journey and you continue the investigation. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Carol, congrats on Cleopatra's Dagger and whatever you. your next 
project is, I'm sure you'll be just as fabulous as this one. Well, thank you so much. And, and I, I really appreciate your, your welcoming, energetic uh, support. And um, it was great meeting you and talking with you. Thanks, Carol. It's great having you on. Yeah, the journey, people. You know it, right? You know that. It's about the journey. It's a cliche. We hear it, but it's true. It's really true. And, and as writers, we can get fixated on the destination. We can. It's not. It's not. That's not the point. No, it isn't. I want to thank my producer, R.J. Jeffries. Thank you, as always. And, uh, well, to all of you out there, I want you to just uh, go find something you just love to do and then do it. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.